At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish one said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Keep watch, for you do not know the day nor the hour. Today we're looking at the parable of the bridesmaids, both wise and otherwise. Christ has been talking about his return. He had promised his return earlier, that he was going to prepare a place for his people, and he would come back and receive them unto himself. And in his talk in the previous chapter, verse 30 says, Then the Son of Man will appear in heaven, then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the cows of glory with power and great glory. Why will the tribe of the earth mourn? Because everybody ain't going to heaven. If everyone's going, then heaven will become earth too. Because in heaven you did not become automatons, robots. That would be no fun, right? We'll still have the same power of choice, the same personalities, but being redeemed, we will be so changed by appreciation through his sacrifice, having saved us and been received into his community. So that will be a day of rejoicing and a day of mourning. Verse 31, And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. So when this happens, it will be a great angelic visitation and operation. Verse 36, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as the days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. They lived their lives like normal until judgment time came. And did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. It's not that they weren't warned, but only those that heeded Noah's ministry was his own family. So saints, ministry starts at home and beyond. And so those that did not follow in their footsteps, did not believe Noah's message, had no excuse. Verse 40, then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. In the 70s, there was a contemporary Christian artist named Larry Norman, and he wrote a song entitled, Wish We'd All Been Ready. And 
The lyrics go like this. Life was filled with guns and war, and all of us got trampled on the floor. I wish we'd all been ready. The children died. The gaze grew cold. A piece of bread could buy a bag of gold. I wish we'd all been ready. Now there's no time to change your mind. The sun has come, and you've been left behind. A man and wife asleep in bed. She hears a noise and turns her head. He's gone. I wish we'd all been ready. Two men walking up a hill. One disappears, and one's left standing still. I wish we'd all been ready. The father spoke. The demons dined. How could we have been so blind? There's no time to change our minds. The sun has come, and we've been left behind. There's no time to change your mind. The sun has come and you've been left behind. So the nations and tribes of the earth will mourn on that day. So it's in that context that he's delivering several parables, two or three of them, and here in chapter 25, keep in mind the chapters were put there to help us find stuff more quickly, but it's still the same conversation, still the same sermon, still the same message on the same day at the same place. Called the Mount Olivet Discourse. So, as we saw dramatized for us today, the parable of the wise and foolish virgins. So, then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now, five were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. So, they all had lamps. But the foolish ones, the Greek word for foolish is the word moros, which is where we get the word moron. They didn't take any oil with them, just whatever was in their lamp. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, a cry was heard, behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all the virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. So to understand this parable, the background is the culture of the day, Middle East culture, Jewish culture, centuries ago. There would be a betrothal period. When they got engaged, often the father was involved in choosing a bride for his son. Well, I don't like that. Well, look at the divorce rates in America. The way we do it doesn't exactly work too good many times, right? So the parents were involved. They set up this betrothal period, and it was almost like being married without consummating the marriage. You're not living together. And during this period, the son is making a place to establish his family. So he doesn't get the car to the head of the horse. He gets things set so that he's ready for his bride. And so when the wedding day comes, it's a festival, a week-long festival. When he comes, he goes and gets the bride and takes her to his house or to his father's house to the place of the wedding. So in this parable, these virgins, these young maidens, these uh, single daughters, escort with the the groom, the bridegroom, with their lamps. Uh, the word lamp could also mean torches. And they escort him to go get the bride, and then together they go to the place of the wedding. And when they arrive and the door's shut, that's it. So these gals that didn't have oil messed up the wedding. In other words, you know, there were five lamps escorting the groom to get his bride rather than 10. So there wasn't an opportunity for them who were foolish to participate in it because they had insulted the culture of the day. 
Christ used this culture to demonstrate his coming. The story that applied to that day, and I believe it applies to ours. Especially in this season when weddings are getting messed with during the COVID thing. It's just terrible. Heartbroken brides are all over the nation. But hallelujah, marriage is still here and we're going to survive. Amen? Here is a lamp like we saw in the video. Uh, You have the pour hole at the top and then the place where the wick goes. And so when the bridegroom came, they trimmed their wick. Now, did they escort the groom with these little flickering lamps? I'm not sure. As a kid, we grew up with kerosene lanterns. We lived in Africa. And so in the mornings, you would trim the wicks, trim the burnt places off the wick so that the next night when you relit it, it would burn bright and clear with less smoke. And so they had trimmed their wicks, lit them, and they were ready to go. But maybe it was a different kind of lamp. Here's a double header here. Two wicks coming from the same tank with oil. Here is maybe for Hanukkah, one with nine wicks. This could put out more light, see? So having a vessel for oil was important, whether it was to soak the rags on a torch or to fill your lantern. Here's one here that looks like it sits on a pole or on a table with multiple wicks feeding into the same tank. Now here's one that very well may have been like the one in the parable. It's like a torch, but it's a lamp. Light comes from the top. There's a bit of a cover to protect the flames from the wind. The bottom of it is where you would put a pole to light the way. And inside it, you have the fill hole. And then around the fill hole, that rim are holes for wicks to go into so that you can have multiple flames in this thing. This, to me, makes more sense than a torch because every 15 minutes or so, you got to change rags, and and the parable talks about them trimming their wicks, and so you don't trim the wicks on a torch, right? So it may very well have been this kind of lamp. So being prepared was important, and the moros bridesmaids, the foolish bridesmaids, came with no oil. And so they were sent away to purchase oil. Now, often, oil has been used through the scriptures and theology to refer to the Holy Spirit. But in this parable, I'm not fully convinced that that's what he's saying. I believe it is important that we have the Holy Spirit. None of us can come to the Father unless the Spirit draws us, right? And it's important that we are filled with the Holy Spirit to be empowered for ministry, These gals were called virgins, bridemaids. They were ready, but something was missing. They were not fully prepared. And the bridegroom said, I never knew you. When I was a kid, as I mentioned again, living in Africa, one time we heard an African preacher preaching this parable. In their vernacular, they speak pidgin English. I'm going to attempt to replay it here for you for a couple minutes. He said, the Bible say there were 10 virgins, five were wise and five were foolish. And the five foolish ones did not have kerosene for their lanterns. And they go, and the man coming, the man coming. And so the foolish ones go to the wise ones and say, hey, I beg you, y'all, I hold your foot. I beg you, y'all, give me kerosene for my lantern. And the wise ones say, move from my face. I only have enough of my own. Go get your own. So they go to the store to get their own, and the man coming. And they miss the procession. And so they come back, and they knock on the door and say, I beg you, y'all, I hold your foot. Let me inside. Let me inside. And the man say, moves from my face. Go to hell. The casting is a Holy Ghost. If you want the Holy Ghost, come up to this altar and you will receive the Holy Ghost. Otherwise, you will go to hell. (laughs) The oil is a substance of relationship with the groom, with the bridegroom. Now, I know as the church, as a people of God, one of the uh, metaphors that refers to us as the body of Christ. We're not bodies of Christ. We're 
singular body of Christ, but we're many parts, right? We're also corporately the bride of Christ. I know Israel's, you know, a bride, and I know uh, the New Jerusalem is a bride, but there's an analogy in um, Paul talking about marriage, says that Jesus loves the church like a husband should love his bride. And uh, coming coming back for a glorious bride without spot or wrinkle. So corporately, we are parts of the bride of Christ. We're not the brides of Christ. He's not a polygamist. We're the bride of Christ corporately. Now, we're sons and daughters of God individually, right? But ladies, you have all the rights of a son of God. So really, corporately, we are all the sons of God, right? There's no male or female. We're There's no distinction when it comes to our value before the Lord. So it's important to know that we are also friends of the bridegroom. And we are also, as the church, also the bridesmaids, the virgins in this story. And it's important that we look forward to his return. It's important that we prepare. It's important that we're ready. Well, I'm a virgin. Well, I'm a bridesmaid. Well, I'm a this and I'm a that. It's important that we are thorough and that we go the whole journey in being ready for the Lord's return, being ready for the great wedding. We're talking about parables. And a lot of the parables have problems in the story. So let's review them right quick. Watch this. This isn't all the parables that we've covered, but the ones that fit into this analogy of being ready, the truth of being ready. We started out with the the wise and the foolish men building their houses. The wise built on the rock, the foolish built on the sand. The wise that built on the rock are those that hear the sayings of Christ, what he says, and does what he says. So the solution to not being a foolish builder is being an obedient hearer. You got it? In the parable of the weeds, the seed, and the sower, we have different kinds of soil. And one kind of soil is stony ground, where seed brings life quickly, but then because it's shallow, it falls away. When persecution happens, people that seem to have become believers fall away. So the solution there is to get rid of the rocks in your life, to have deeper roots, to fully embrace the gospel with all your heart. And then also in that parable is the thorny ground, where the seed falls in the thorny ground, and because there's competition for the soil, it chokes out the effectiveness of the word. And he says the thorny ground is is, uh, people that do not allow the word to be effective because of the cares of life and the desire for other things, and the deceitfulness of riches. So the solution there is to repent and to correct our priorities so that we might be good soil so God's Word can have an effect. In the weeded field, that is, at night, an enemy came into someone's wheat field and planted weeds. And these tares look just like wheat till it's harvest time. The wheat sometimes bends over under the weight of the fruit, and the tares that look like wheat There they are standing straight up, kind of a contrast between pride and humility. The solution there is harvest time. Uh, Some people live in fear. Oh, do you know covens are infiltrating churches? Oh, my goodness. As though demons are having babies, right? Oh, my goodness. Making us suspicious of one another. Let's love one another, walk in full embrace, exhort one another, right? Obviously. But stop trying to 
excommunicate people from the church that may very well may be your brothers and sisters. Let God deal with that situation at harvest time, right? The bridesmaids didn't fight over who was wise and who was foolish, but when the bridegroom came, there was a separation. One was taken, one was left. One was taken, one was left. One was taken, one was left. One was taken. You get the point. And then the unwedded catch, the kingdom of heaven is like a great net that's thrown out and hauled in. And in that net are undesirable things as well as desirable things. There's clean fish and there's unclean fish. There's a kosher catch and then the catch is not kosher. So you don't clean the fish before you catch them. You allow the net to do its work And then once you get to shore, then you do the separating. And so it is in the kingdom of God. There is a time of separation. During the days of communism in Romania, they were paying people to be informers on churches. And it was destroying little congregations because suspicion was getting in there. Are you an informer? Are you an informer? And one pastor just embraced it. We'd like to welcome all the informers here today. My pastor was there and, and witnessed this. We know that some of you are getting paid to tell on us. We want to make sure you have a good experience. Whatever we can do to serve you, let us know. But we are not going to succumb to the temptation to be suspicious of each other because that would destroy our fellowship, right? Oh, there's a devil out there. Stop all that spooky weirdness. You know, every time a coven has a chant, it's, it's like, Suddenly, we have to have a prayer meeting to pray against the powers of darkness. Jesus paid it all, folks. When we were missionaries in Africa, they would beat the drums and conjure up spirits, and we would just pray for the poor people doing that because they were blind, and we would sleep like babies when you could hear the drums play all night long. A missionary there before us, Sister Pauline Groose, on one occasion, they were beating the drums, the clouds gathered, and lightning came out of the sky and killed her knocked her down, and came out her feet. She had the scars on her feet to prove this story. And she's ascending, leaving her body, looking down and seeing the saints gathered around her praying, and a voice from heaven says, I'm not through with you. So does the enemy have power? Yes. Is he allowed to display it? Yes, so that God's greater power can be displayed. I could tell you some other stories that would totally freak you out, but that would distract from the sermon today, so... If you want to hear another one, come to me after the service. So demons aren't having babies. We don't have to be preoccupied with that. The issue is our heart. Harvest time is going to be a time where a lot of things saints worry about, God's going to deal with. So let's stay humble. Let God deal with what God deals with. And if someone is an informant, someone is a witch, guess what? They can get saved if we love them, right? So stop all the hocus-pocus, like, like you live in a yin-yang world. What's the opposite of cold? Heat, right? What's the opposite of light? What's the opposite of God? He has no opposite. I thought it was the devil. He's not God's opposite. To be an opposite, you've got to be equal, right? So God is awesome. That's for somebody. All right, next parable is a parable of the unmerciful servant. He was forgiven a great debt and refused to forgive his fellow servant a smaller debt and lost benefits of his being forgiven. So the lesson there is if you want to walk in the joy of forgiveness, we've got to freely receive and freely give. Forgive so that we can enjoy the fruits of being forgiven. The parable of the jealous laborers. Some worked all day, some worked half a day, some worked one hour. They all got paid the same. And so those that worked longer got all jealous and all bent out of shape. And uh, I think we titled this when grace, God's grace seems unfair. The benefit there is to trust the master, trust God. You know, there'll be other days to work and he'll make sure justice is done. Everybody needs to live. And he needed those workers desperately at the end of the the day. Rain could be coming. It could have ruined the harvest. And plus, it's his authority. He paid them what he agreed to pay them, right? So maybe you've lived your whole life 
living for the Lord and get to go to heaven, and somebody on their deathbed, the last few minutes, calls on the name of Jesus and goes to heaven. Don't begrudge God that. That's his thing. Do not hold a grudge against God for being merciful. None of us would have enough sense to get in out of the rain if he wasn't merciful to us, right? Be thankful for the extra help. And then the parable of another wedding. Invitations were sent out and the people didn't come to the wedding. What's the solution? They're bad. And so the master wants his wedding full. He just invites everybody. The common folks, the sick folks, the wounded folks, the broke folks, the evil folks are invited into this great feast. Evangelism. Well, my kids don't want to serve God. Well, don't let that hold you up. There's plenty of people that do want to serve God and leave your kids in the hands of God and reach out to other people. Invite everyone. The parable of the unfaithful tenants that killed the son of the master, that refused to pay their rent on, you know, they were sharecroppers on, on, in a vineyard that had been made for them. And, of course, we know this is a picture of Israel rejecting God, but the takeaway from there is there is coming a day of judgment. And if we do not do what's right, there will be hell to pay. And finally today, the parable of the bridesmaids, the foolish virgins. The solution is to be ready. Today is a day of salvation. Now is a time to get ready. So don't wait until it's too late. You got it? When my brother was in the fourth grade in Bloomington, Illinois, at a talent show, stood up and sang this song, a cappella. says, don't look back, came the call, as they fled the flaming wall of that city that Lot loved so much. But his wife could not resist, looking back one last time, there to be, just a stone left behind. Left behind forever and ever with no hope for eternity. Missing out on the joy that the others will find. Dear Lord, don't let me be the one left behind. Thereupon three cruel trees hung my Savior and two thieves, but only one said, Lord, I believe. To him there, Jesus said, Paradise, today you'll find, but the other was left behind. Two shall be in the field, and two be grinding at the mill. When Jesus shall come for his own, one glance away, then one glance back, Oh, how sad will be the fine. Dear Lord, don't let me be the one left behind, left behind forever and ever with no hope for eternity, missing out on the joy that the others will find. Dear Lord, don't let me be the one left behind. Pastor Allen, what are you thinking? I brought a visitor. Sorry, this was the next parable in Matthew. We're going through the parables this summer. This is the next one, and this is the message of it. Don't be left behind. Don't be unprepared. Today's a day to get prepared. So this is an ideal day for a visitor. Ten bridesmaids, wise and otherwise, the vital importance of being ready. Let's talk about several hindrances to getting ready. One is a lack of perception. You just don't see things the way the Scriptures reveal them. So you're here on the perfect day to have some misperceptions cleared up. We're going to look at a few verses in sequence from 2 Peter chapter 3. He said, but do not overlook this one fact. See? Overlook. Perception. Don't overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. We're talking about this prophecy of the Lord's return. It's been 2,000 years now. And then they were wondering, when is it going to come to pass? But time is different to God. 
when Jesus gave the promise, it's only been a couple days to him. Right? So when he says he's coming soon, it's soon to him. And if he doesn't come in your lifetime, guess what? He may be coming for you sooner than he's coming for us. You're not promised tomorrow. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So he's giving time for other people to come into the kingdom, for other people to get oil for their lamps, right? For other people to repent of their sins and find a saving knowledge of Jesus. He's giving time. He's being merciful. On judgment day, when we all stand before a creator, no one will have an excuse. So this takes time on our side. Next point is the lack of foresight. People didn't perceive how God sees time, but also people don't, don't, don't think of the future. Peter continues, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Is global warming true? Yep, and you're not going to be able to do anything to stop it. And how does finding someone stop anything anyway? Nature doesn't say, oh, he paid an extra $100. Let's slow down here. I mean, it's just dumb. Anyway, we'll come back to that another time. The lack of seriousness. You know, they were getting married and eating and drinking during Noah's day when it was a time to be serious because the flood was coming. If you don't think there was an earth worldwide flood, there are dozens of cultures in the world that in their history have a story of a worldwide flood. Some people think that discredits the Bible. No, it adds credence to it. Peter continues, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation, that's your conduct, the way you talk, the way you conduct yourself, and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent The sign of the rainbow is a promise to never destroy the earth again with the flood. But it also is a picture of a bow. The Jews say that's God's judgment bow pointed away from us. But it's also a promise, as the Negro spiritual says, God gave Noah the rainbow sign, no more water, but fire next day. Now, read the newspaper, watch the news. Is the world full of wickedness? Some people point a finger at God and say, if you're real, how could you allow this wickedness to go on? He is real, and he's not going to allow it to go on. He will do something about it, but right now is a time of salvation. He's given people a chance to change their wicked ways. That's his love. If there's a God of love, that's how he's displaying his love, by giving people a chance to repent. One day he's going to put a stop to all wickedness. If he doesn't, then he isn't God. But he is. There's a lack of anticipation, looking forward to a better day. Some people live with fatalism going on. He said, but according to his promise, we are looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Now, whether that is a renewed heaven and a renewed earth, a renewed atmosphere and a renewed planet, that's something for the theologians to argue about. It says it's going to be new. So to me, it doesn't matter. It's going to be nude or renewed. It's going to be better than before. We're looking forward to that day in which righteousness dwells. Wickedness dwells in this present world. It does. There's great wickedness, unspeakable wickedness going on right now. And the people that are called to fight wickedness sometimes cross that blue line and they become wicked. It's a wicked world in which we live. So a lack of perception, lack of foresight, lack of seriousness, lack of anticipation, 
And finally, a lack of diligence. This is what these bridesmaids had who were wise. They were diligent. And those that were not, were not diligent. They didn't consider the honor extended to them to be a bridesmaid in the bridegroom's wedding, the bride's wedding, and just didn't come prepared. Just showed up late, basically. Therefore, passage we're looking at at 2 Peter 3 concludes, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. So the delay of the fulfillment of the promise of his coming is not that it's not going to come. It is. But the delay is so that more people have time to call on the Lord. Now, in a few months, we have Christmas coming, right? A few months. What if your kids demanded their presents now and accused you of lying if you don't give it to them? It's not time yet. Christmas is coming. We're on our way along the linear line of time to Christmas. So... It's like that. The Lord is coming back, and we're on our way along the line of linear time, and we want him to come back right now. Come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly, we pray. I grew up in churches that sang about the Lord's return all the time and didn't focus on our calling right now. So we're people that look for his return, but until it happens, we have work to do, right? We have preparations to do. And in our impatience, we realize the Lord is full of love and mercy for others. So we're talking about the vital importance of being ready. Are you ready for the Lord's return? Well, it's been 2,000 years. I think I'll take my time. Really? What if you slip into eternity tonight? Are you ready? Not going to tell any horror stories, but it happens. People die, or you know, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to go today. One day we're going to stand before the Lord. So are you ready? Lord, I pray for every person here that if they're not ready, they would see the importance of being ready, being prepared. Being prepared for the Lord's return doesn't create a problem free life, rain falls on the just and the unjust but it creates an assurance that no matter how bad things get in our culture, we don't get so shook up. We don't get so angry. Are you angry and frustrated and mad at the world? Could it be you're not ready for the Lord's return? You don't have the assurance? (laughs) There's four things God does not know. Stick with me now. Don't turn your brains off. Pastor, that's bad theology. Listen to that. Listen to me. God knew you were going to be here. He knew we were going to preach on this parable today. And he knew what you were going to hear. And if I've made any mistakes, which I always do, he knows the truth. His spirit is here to help the truth get through in spite of me. First thing he doesn't know, he doesn't know of a sin that he does not hate. God does not like sin. People from him. And it separates people from one another. It makes people self-centered. The big I is in the middle of the word sin. He does not know of a person who is not a sinner. My baby's not a sinner. Oh, really? Just move a little too slow and she or he will let you know. You need to get with the program. And one of the first words they learn is mine and no. And you see rebellion. And so our calling as parents is to deal with that. Otherwise, we raise narcissists, right? So we're all sinners. God doesn't know of any person that's not other than his son. We're all sinners. 
God does not know of any way to save sinners from sin except through his son's life, perfect life, death, and resurrection. So his death was unjust. We're all called to die, born in sin, shaped in iniquity, and the curse of sin is separation from God, the separation from the source of life, which ultimately leads to a temporal life, which ultimately leads to our death. So Christ's death was not his due receipt. He lived a perfect, sinless life for us. And so his perfect record can be applied to our record so that we do not experience the eternal consequences of sin because he conquered death and now reigns not only as our risen sacrifice, but as our high priest to enforce the legal power of what he provided for us. He did the time. He paid the fine so that our lives could be changed and transformed. Who's heard of, heard of Chuck Colson? Prison Fellowship. He was part of the Nixon administration and, and got caught lying, wound up serving prison time, but while there became a believer and started Prison Fellowship, one of the most highly recognized and honored prison ministries in the world. And prisons would bring him in to, to inspect their facilities and to make recommendations. And he was in South America once and inspecting this facility and the trustee showing him around was a convicted murderer. And this prison had not had any problems for years. There had been a spiritual revival there. And he says, do you guys have a solitary confinement cell? Yes, we do, but we haven't used it for years. Really, we haven't had to. These prisoners, are, their lives are so transformed, they don't have to be punished. So it's just there. He said, well, can I see it? He said, sure. So they walked to the middle of the, you know, the prison yard, the campus, and unlocked the door and let him go in the building into the solitary confinement cell. And there on the wall was a crucifix. And the prisoner said, he's in here all the time, doing time for the rest of us. Now, we know that Jesus isn't a statue, and we know he's not hanging on a wall in a South American prison. We know he's not doing time literally in that solitary confinement cell. But the revelation of his punishment becoming ours is so life-transforming. It lifts the guilt off of us that when he hung between heaven and earth, it was a point in time for all time. The lamb slain from the beginning to pay for the sins of mankind, past, present, and future. He did that for us. And through faith in him, it changes our lives. God knows of no other way to deal with sin than through that. Well, I think I have found another way. Well, there you go with the big I again. Well, I just think it's arrogant to declare Jesus is the only way to heaven. Well, he said it. Well, I think he was a prophet. Well, he's a false prophet then if he said it and it's not true. He said, no one comes to the Father but by me. The Father knows of no other way to save sinners from sin that he hates, sinners that he loves from sin that he hates, than through faith in what his Son did for us. What's the best way to drive to Fort Worth? from here in a car, but what's the best route to take? 377? How arrogant of you. How arrogant. It's that dumb to say there has to be some other way other than Jesus. Heaven will become earth too if God bends to that. That's man calling the shots. We were made by the Creator, and He's redeemed us to himself. Jesus himself said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The world is already condemned because of sin. Our forefathers opened the door to live independently of God, and here we are. 
But God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that through faith in him, what he did through his sinless life, his righteous perfection and his unjust death and glorious resurrection, we can be redeemed. We can be purchased so that we live a life not of desperation or perspiration or condemnation, but of inspiration and gratitude for what he's done for us. That's three things. Here's the fourth thing God does not know. He does not know of any better time to save a sinner whom he loves from sin that he hates than today. Today is the best day. It is. The sooner the better. Paul wrote to a church in Corinth of Greece. He said, for God says, at just the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for every person here, man, woman, boy and girl, young and old, different backgrounds, every age. Lord, I pray that if anyone does not have the assurance of eternal life, they're not sure that they're prepared. They they believe they're good persons. Lord, show them that they need you. Put a cry in their heart before the sun goes down to call on your name and say, Lord, save me. Can we just do that right now? Let's just call on his name. Say, Lord Jesus, I call on your name. Save me. I believe in my heart and confess with my mouth that you are the Son of God. Come into my life. Forgive my sins. Make me your child. It can be that simple. But it starts with believing. If you find yourself beginning to believe the gospel story, that is saving faith dawning in your heart. Do not resist it. Embrace it. Today can be your day of salvation. Amen. Let's close the service by singing a song. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so Every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. It's running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. With my life laid down, I surrender now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, it's running after. questions. When will these things be? That referred to what he was talking about, the destruction of the city. What will be the sign of your return? We looked at some of that today. And of the end. And he started talking about the end. 
first, and then the judgment on the city of Jerusalem, and then his return in the sequence of what he talked as I understand it. In talking about the end, he said there would be wars and rumors of wars, signs of the end. Um, that nation would rise against nation and kingdom against, na against kingdom. And that word there for nation is the word ethnos. Ethnic group will rise against ethnic group. So it doesn't even have, have to be country within country. It can be races within countries. Problems said that many will be offended. We live in an offended day, don't we? The offended states of America. And because lawlessness will abound, is lawlessness abounding? Because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. So as believers, we've got to fight that. As lawlessness abounds, we've got to fight to not let our love grow cold, to not become angry, bitter, people totally distracted from our he also said there would be famines and I think and pestilences real and unreal pestilences right he also said there'd be earthquakes so while we were worshiping I, I did a bad thing I'm confessing I thought I wonder how many earthquakes were yesterday so there's a site World Earthquake Report for Saturday, the 22nd of August, 2020. There were four earthquakes with a magnitude of greater than five on the Richter scale. Greater than four, there was 29 earthquakes. Greater than three, there were 90 earthquakes. Greater than two on the Richter scale, there were 141 earthquakes making a total of 264 earthquakes yesterday. So these are signs that point to Judgment Day. The Lord is coming for His people. And it's imperative that you get ready. So maybe you're not ready right now. I mean, obviously I don't want to rush people to some kind of sinner's prayer and lie to them and say, because you said the magic words like it's a formula or something. But it, these are subjects to talk about that take seriously in your heart. And when you're ready to call on the Lord, do it. So talk to somebody about these things today. We do that. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. As Will Rogers used to say, may the good Lord take a liking to you. God bless you. Go get them, tigers. Amen. Let's sing of the goodness of God. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me.